Hello, everyone. Pray with me, please. Father God, in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I ask you to be with us this morning, and I, I ask that you, would, that you would grow our hearts and that you would grow our faith and that you would grow, my Father, our knowledge of you and of your word. Oh, Father God, grow us this day, I beg you. I pray to you for our congregation. I pray to you for all of us who now come before your holy word. And I ask you to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and a mind to understand. Open us up to your word, my Father. Bear us bare. Bear us naked before your word. And let us be, let us be clothed by your holy word. O oh Lord, we love you, we praise you, we honor you, and we thank you for your teaching to us in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, may I ask you all to open your Bibles, please. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 15. Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. We're going to be looking at very important teaching that Jesus gives his disciples and he gives to us today. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them to chapter 15. If you don't have your Bibles and you want to use the Bibles in your pews, that's fine. Uh, if you want to use the insert with the reading in your bulletin, that's fine as well. If you want to use your phones or tablets uh, to read uh, God's Word, that is fine as well. I also want to encourage you to use the sheet that is in your bulletins or at the end of your bulletins for you to take notes. Um, I, as I encourage you every week, I want you to be taking notes. I want you to be later going back and praying over those notes. And there may be things, even people's names, that the Lord may give you that you may want to consider praying for those people or bringing uh, to those people before the Lord and just asking God, what do you want me to do? So I expect that God is going to speak to you today. I expect he's going to speak to you through myself, but I also uh, expect that God is going to speak through his Holy Spirit into your heart. And especially today, bring some people to your minds that, that uh, you need to, to have close to you. In any case, uh, looking at chapter 15, I'm not going to repeat and repeat what uh, we have done before, but you all know that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, every sermon I have preached in the last few months have been telling you about Jesus's journey uh, from Galilee to Jerusalem, and I want to remind you that this is his last trip uh, to Jerusalem, the last journey. He knows he's coming to die in Jerusalem and to be crucified. He knows that the fulfillment of his mission is about to take place. And that is the journey that he's taking. 
Uh, I also shared with you last week, as we looked at the gospel as well, about the multitude of people that just gathered around Jesus uh, and that would be following him, uh, some from Galilee, and some may have been adding themselves to the group as they traveled uh, toward Jerusalem. Today, I, I just want you to focus for a moment just on the first verse. The first verse of this passage gives us the full context and the full reason for the three parables that Jesus tells. Just reading the first verse of this passage will tell you what the reason is for Jesus speaking as he does and what it is he wants us to teach. We read, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. I just want you to look at that verse all by itself. Tax collectors and sinners sought Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners sought Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, the ones that, that knew the word probably the best, they grumbled. Shouldn't it have been the reverse? The tax collectors and sinners grumbled? Actually, I don't even think that is the correct. I think the correct would have been everybody saw Jesus. Everybody saw Jesus. But what you have here is you have the tax collectors and the sinners are all drawing near to hear Jesus. And, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. That is the very first the very first verse. Jesus tells three parables. We're going to deal only with two of them. The first parable he tells is about a lost sheep. And the second parable he tells is about a lost coin. And the third parable he tells is about a lost son. We know that parable as the prodigal son. But he tells those three parables. I'm going to touch pretty um, briefly on the third, because I want to kind of focus on the first two. But part of the question I have, looking at this verse 1, is who are these tax collectors and sinners that are seeking Jesus? Among those that follow Jesus, some of them from Galilee, some of them just coming into Jerusalem and who had come near the Lord, were coming to him people that the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and probably the scribes just didn't appreciate even traveling with. They just didn't appreciate being even near them. But they were coming to listen to what Jesus had to teach. And this would have been people that, that would have been considered as the lost the lost. They came to Jesus. The reason these individuals that some 
some of us judged, or some of the scribes and Pharisees judged, they were coming to Jesus clearly because Jesus welcomed them. One of the things I want you to notice here is that Jesus is accused of eating and drinking with them and welcoming sinners. And I have to tell you that there's no other way of dealing with sinners than to love them and to welcome and to eat with them and to encourage them to the Lord. Pushing them away is not going to lead anyone to the Lord. Preaching the word at them as if it was stones that you were throwing are not going to reach the loss. Jesus' way of reaching the loss was to welcome them and to even gather in their homes or in your home and bringing them and eating with them. Jesus welcomed them, ate with them. It's not that he did not give them the truth, because he always did, but he did it in a context of love, in a context of embrace, in a context of peace, not of argument and rejection and fighting, but in a context of embracing and loving and speaking the truth in love and sharing the gospel with people, but always in a context of love. Jesus never compromised the truth, but he did it in a context of people feeling that they were welcome, their questions were welcome, they themselves were welcome, and they were loved by God. And in that context is that Jesus welcome these tax collectors and sinners that caused the Pharisees and the scribes to grumble against him. And then I was thinking about this passage alone, and I recognize that at least the lost know that they're lost. At least the lost know that they're lost, and they seek to get out of their lostness. The Pharisees and the scribes deny or reject or avoid the idea that they too are lost. So they rather grumble than seek an answer to their dilemma. I would rather be lost and seeking Jesus than be so self-righteous to believe that I'm already in, and therefore I don't need the Lord. The lost at least know that they're lost, and they seek Jesus to be their answer to their questions, to their doubts, to their way of life. The Pharisees and the scribes choose to ignore that they too need Messiah, that they too need a revelation from God, that they too need forgiveness, and they too need mercy. And so what they do is they grumble against Jesus. It reminded me, it reminded me of the two thieves on the cross. One of them 
calls out to Jesus and says, remember me when you, want, you come into your kingdom. The other one has the same opportunity for salvation, but he chooses to grumble against Jesus and, and insult him and all of that. It reminds me of another parable that Jesus told about a sinner who sits way back there because he's afraid to come too close to the altar, and a righteous Pharisee who sits at the front, and the guy in the front says, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy in the back. And the guy in the back says, Lord, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. And Jesus asked the question, now which of these two went home justified, forgiven? restored. The one who feels that he's got it all, he doesn't need forgiveness, or the one who recognizes his lostness or her lostness and asks God for mercy. That's what we have here. That's what we have here. And so I looked up a couple of passages that had to do with lostness and and I recognize that, that what Jesus is saying here is something that God has already said in, in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel prophesies about God the Father, about God, and, and he says this about what God is saying to Israel, to the Jewish people. I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them in justice. This is God's desire and how he pursues his people. He's a shepherd, that is willing to go after the lost. And then I found in Luke just a few couple of chapters from where we are today, Jesus himself gives us his mission statement. Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is Jesus' mission statement. That is the reason why he came into this world. That is the reason that Jesus came to this earth. He came to save the lost, to seek and save the lost. So who are these lost? I think we know them, don't we? I think they look like us. I think they especially look like me many years ago. And it's not that I don't need the Lord today. I, I live by the mercy and the grace of God. But I need to recognize that there was a time in my life when I was separated from God. So when I try to describe the loss, these, these that, that are being talked about here, I would describe that the lost are people who are living separated from God, disobedient to God's holy word and instructions. And a lot of times is by our own doing and our own will. Listen, I grew up, I grew up in church. 
But a time came in my life when I chose to do my own path in my own life, and I, I rebelled like a lot of us have rebelled against God. And I separated myself. I separated myself. God did not separate himself from me. I separated myself from God, from his word and being obedient to him. The lost are those people who live sinfully, sinful lives of many sort. We mentioned the tax collectors. The tax collectors were grouped together with sinners. And the reason they were grouped together with sinners is because the tax collectors collected from the Jewish people the tax in order to help the Romans with the, the cost of maintaining the legions. They were traitors. They were traitors to Judaism. They were traitors to Israel. They were traitors to God himself. For anyone that was against God's people would be against God. Tax collectors didn't care. They sometimes even make plays with the, the balances, and sometimes they charged the Jewish people a little more, and they kept it and pocketed it. It was a way of making money. And so tax collectors did not have a very good reputation among the Jewish people. So some of these sinners were the traitors that helped the Romans to oppress the Jewish people. But some of the sinners are also the notorious sinners that we read in Scripture that disobey the Word of God, the prostitutes, the thieves, the drunkards, those that are fighting all the time and punching people, those that are constantly against God's holy word and behaving in every respect, the cheats of all kinds, those are the laws. Those are the laws. Those who are outside by their own will of the grace of God, of the love of God, of the forgiveness of God, they don't care about it, and so they are separated from God's grace and God's mercy. They're distant from God's forgiveness. The lost, the lost are people that live chaotic lives. You know, sin sometimes feels really good. When you're in the middle of sinning, let me tell you, sin can feel pretty good. And then comes the reality. Then comes the reality of the consequences of sin, the destruction, the breaking up of relationships, the breaking up of people, the lack of peace, the lack of joy, the hiding that happens because we want to hide who we really are, the excuses. The sinners tend to live chaotic lives. There's always chaos when you sin. Chaotic lives without order, without peace, satisfying any and all urges of the flesh, 
and a corrupt mind, the broken, the angry, those feeling disenfranchised, the unloved. But I also like to throw in there, when we talk about the loss, the victims of life consequences. Because there are people who live these chaotic lives because they don't know any better. Or because in their lives, since they are growing up, they have experienced destruction in their lives. They have experienced pain in their lives. And they don't know any better. They're victims of circumstances. Sometimes they're victims of family life and things they've experienced, sometimes as children, sometimes as adults. I have met people, and this is not a judgment on anyone, but I have met people who have been so hurt in their lives that they lived their lives walking backwards their past is always informing and affecting their walk. They don't realize that if they turn around, there is a hope and a future. There is joy. There's a new life. There's potential. There's possibility. There is change. If we accustom our lives, no matter how much pain we have experienced, to live our lives always as victims, we will make choices that will ca cause chaos in our lives. We live in constant chaos, in constant fear, in constant oppression over what was done to me, and I can't seem to turn around and realize that there is a much brighter and bigger life ahead of us, and, and somehow, that leads to decisions that may cause you to fall on, on the loss category. The loss. I want to say to you that no matter how lost any of these people are, whether they're prostitutes or thieves or criminals or assassins or tax collectors, when they came to Jesus... They never left the same. Whenever any of us meets Jesus, he transforms and changes our past and gives us a new life of hope and mercy and forgiveness and acceptance. None of these people, when they came to Jesus, they may have come broken, but when they left Jesus, they were redeemed. They were forgiven. They were healed because Jesus would speak to them and welcome them as people and not as broken pieces. Jesus would embrace them and welcome and love them because in a way we're all broken in one way or another. And we need to understand the way that Jesus dealt with the loss. Do you know anybody like this? Do you know any people in your immediate surrounding that you might say they fit this category of the loss? 
separated from God, broken, living chaotic lives? Do you think God loves them? But that's not the right question. The right question is, do you love them? Those people that may have come into your mind, do you love them? Do you love them? And how much do you love them? Do you love them like God loves them? Do you love them like Jesus loved you one day? Do you love the lost? You can't love them very much if you're not doing something about reconciling them to the Lord. You must not love them very much if you make any and every excuse not to share Jesus with them or to love them and welcome them into your home and into your life. You must not love them very much if you keep them at a hand's distance or an arm's distance. You must not love them very much if you avoid associating with them. You must not love them very much if you really could care less as to what happens to them in the future. Some of these people may be your very family members, your very, very neighbors, friends, people you grew up with. Do you love them? How much do you love them? So Jesus tells two parables, and I'm just going to touch quickly on these parables. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. The first parable talks to men. Talks to men. Men who work outside the house. Men who work in the fields. Men who work in the fields, and this particular individual that Jesus is addressing is a shepherd. He's a shepherd, and he is in charge of a flock of sheep or a herd of sheep, and he has at his care, maybe owned by him, a hundred sheep. And he takes them up every morning. He takes them out to feed and to care for them. And then he gathers them at night and brings them home. And as he's gathering all of these hundred sheep, he recognizes that one of them has gone away, has been lost. He only has 99 out of the 100 he took out that day. He takes the 99, brings them to a field, an open field in the country, and he keeps them there in a safe environment where they continue to feed, and he goes diligently to look for the one sheep that was lost. You see, that one sheep is not just a number. That one sheep is lost and in danger of every wolf and every animal and everything that wants to destroy it and to eat it up and to make 
meat out of that sheep. He knows that sheep is in danger and in trouble, and he doesn't know where that sheep is, but he knows that unless he finds it, that sheep is going to die. And he does everything in his power until he finds that sheep and looks everywhere, retraces his steps. You see, that sheep probably got lost out of its own desire or out of its own negligence. Maybe it was eating over here and the herd moved away and he just kept eating. Or maybe decided to look over that hill. Or maybe decided to look over that rock and may have fallen into a hole or something. That sheep separated itself from the herd. And the shepherd goes after that one sheep. You know why? It doesn't seem like that sheep can come back by itself. That sheep is lost, doesn't know the way back, and may have gotten them itself into some situation they cannot come back. And the shepherd goes after the sheep, and he does everything he can until he finds it. And then when he finds it, he puts it in his back, rejoicing over his shoulders, and he must have been singing a song as he comes to the 99 and gathers the 99, takes them home, call all his friends, and he throws a big party because he found the one sheep. And there's a big party, and Jesus says that there's not only a big party on earth, there's a big party in heaven. The father rejoices over one of his sons or daughter that repents and returns to his flock. The father rejoices over one sinner who returns home. The lost sheep may not have mattered to the 99 who were safe. Hear me. Hear me. The loss may not matter to those of us who are saved, but it matters to God. The lost sheep may not have mattered to the 99 that are safe, but the lost sheep matters to that sheep. She or it is saved from death, from ravenous walls that would destroy them. That sheep matters to the shepherd. And that sheep matters to God. That's why there is a party in heaven. Because one lost sheep was found. And then Jesus tells the parable of a woman. Remember I told you the parable of the shepherd is about a man who works outside. Now we look at a woman who works tending her home. This is a woman who cares for her family, for her children, and she also is the one that has the accountability in the economy of her home. She's the one that pays the bills. She's the one that saves the money. She's the one that buys the groceries. She's the one that knows how much money the family has. And all of a sudden, she brings out her money, and she realizes that she's lost one of the coins. And we're not talking about a penny. We're talking about a silver coin, a coin of value. 
It's a coin of value that would help pay the rent, that would help her family, and it is her responsibility to do the economy of her home. And she realizes a coin is lost, and she sweeps the house, and she gets on her hands and knees, and she looks under every crevice, and she looks under every furniture, and she moves whatever she has to move, and she looks everywhere until she finds the coin that was lost, because it's important to her family. And she finds the coin, and she calls all her friends, and she throws a party, and again, you have a feast in heaven over a coin that was lost. Over a coin that was lost. Let me tell you something quickly. That coin is not like the sheep. It didn't ask to be lost. But that coin may represent a lot of people in this world who don't know they're lost because they grew up in a family or in a country where all they had was Islam, and all they had was Buddhism, and all they had was paganism, or all they had is whatever else except Jesus. And when you grow up in that environment, that's what you do for the rest of your life. Because you don't know any better. To me, that's the coin that has, cannot make a decision as to whether be found or lost because it doesn't know any better. And now I want to give you a hard one. Look for a moment and very briefly at the story of the lost son. Nobody goes looking for the son. The woman looked eagerly for the coin. The shepherd looked eagerly for the sheep, but no one went looking for the son. You know who should have gone looking for the son? The older brother. Instead of feeling so self-righteous at home and now believing that everything belonged to him, all of the inheritance, he should have been looking for his brother his little brother that made a mistake and went away from the home. And that's what Jesus did when he came looking for you. He's the older brother who did the right thing. Who did the right thing. Who left heaven, who left glory to come looking to save the lost. Three parables about how the lost matter. The lost matter. They matter to God. That's why they say he sent the Son. They matter to the Son who came to die so that by his blood he can reconcile you to the Father. And they should matter to the church. Every lost individual should matter to the church, and it should matter to you. And the lost are all around you. They're in your family. They're in your neighborhood. They're your co-workers. And they should matter to you. The lost matter. 
I'd like to ask you to consider and identify, identify in your minds for a moment, maybe write down on the page that I told you about, one, two, three, five people that you think need the Lord. And I want you to consider to love them like Jesus loved the lost. Instead of distancing yourself from them, embracing them, being in a relationship with them, and genuinely consider sharing your faith with them because you too once were lost and you know how it feels and you know the consequences of it and you can share with people how the Lord found you. Not how you found the Lord, but how the Lord found you. I want you to share with others. Could be a neighbor. Could be a family member. But if you don't care for the loss, then who does? If you know the consequences of living away from God, why would you not care for the loss? I want you to identify some individuals in your life because I believe those individuals are there because God has placed them there. And he's asking you, to love them, embrace them, and share the gospel with them. Doesn't matter how many times. I have shared the gospel with every family member that I have come across. And some of them have received the Lord, and some of them have not. And I will continue to do it every time I meet my family members. I will continue to do it no matter what. I want you to identify one, two, three, four, five. See, I'm not asking you to go save all the lost in the world. I'm asking you to go and bring to Jesus those that are nearest and dearest to you. I'm not asking you for the stranger. I'm not asking you for the criminal. I'm not asking to go share the gospel with people you don't know. I want you to share the gospel with those that you know and you love and you love so much that you're willing to invest into their lives. Don't tell me you love them and you don't care about their salvation because that's not love. Ultimate love is to bring Jesus into their lives. Let me say this to you, and I hope you take notes of this. You and I will never really consider the loss until you stop considering the cost. You and I will never, will never really consider the loss until we stop considering the cost. Jesus loves the lost. The Father throws a party every time a lost son or daughter is found. Heaven throws a party every time a loss is found. And I think the church should throw a party every time a lost is found. And I think you should have a party every time the Lord uses you to bring one of his children home. Tax collectors and sinners sought Jesus.
because he welcomed and loved them. Pharisees and scribes, all they did was grumble. Which one are you? Which one are you? <laughs> 